We thank you, God, for your love today. I believe maybe there's someone here today or in Lancaster that you just came to church not feeling worthy of anything, not feeling like there was anything of value in you. And I believe that the Spirit of God wants you to know today that you are worth everything to Him. He would willing to die on a cross for you. He is pursuing you. He's chasing you. He's after you today. It's not an accident that you're here today, but I believe that God wanted to encourage you today. You know, sometimes we come to church, we come out of habit and out of routine, and that's okay. But what I've found is sometimes when I'm in those places, that's where the Spirit of God wants to meet you, and He wants to make it anything but routine in your life. That God has a word for you today. If you would open up your heart, He wants to build your faith today. Some of you, He wants to restore your faith in Him today, but you got to open it up to receive Him. I believe He has a word for you, especially if you've been in a place that I'm defining as spiritual vertigo. As we begin this new series, maybe you've had vertigo before. It's that, that sensation, that feeling that everything around you is spinning. If maybe you felt like your life has been spinning out of control, if you feel like you kind of, uh, everything is dizzy and your faith is draining, then you came to the right place for the next several weeks. I believe God has an infusion of faith that he wants to give you, that he wants to do something in our hearts and our lives that's going to just kind of bring us back to a place of trusting him regardless of what we might be facing. I want to share an encouraging word from a passage I've preached from before. If you all just remain standing for just a little while, I want to read this passage. And, and I want you to really open your heart today to say, God, what do I need in my faith? What do I need to see that I'm not seeing? Especially if you've been in a, a place of drought, a place of desperation, wondering where God is. Hey, if you're here today and everything is perfect in your life, then you ought to thank God for that. But for the rest of us, we need this. Can I say that? We need this for the rest of us. I need this. And I've preached from this text before, and I want to end with an illustration I've used before because there's so many in our church that weren't here. But I, I believe God has given me new insight to preach from in this passage. Second Kings chapter six, starting in verse eight, it says, now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. And after conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. And the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. And so the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? He thought he had a mole in his midst. Verse 12, none of us, my lord the king, said one of his officers, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. He has bugged you. That's basically what he's saying. Verse 13, go and find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men to capture him. And the report came back, he is in Dothan. 
And he sent his horses and chariots and a strong force there. And they went by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. And we're going to stop verse 16. This phrase that you hear over and over and over. Some of you need to hear this phrase today. Elisha said, don't be afraid. I know you're freaking out. Some of you are in a place today where you are freaking out. This is the word of the Lord to you today. Don't be afraid. And here's why. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Sometimes we just need reminded that when God is on our side, those who are with us are more than those who are coming against us. Amen, church? Sometimes we need reminded. I believe God wants to remind us of that today. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come here today. Lord, many people hurting, broken, feeling hopeless. God, wondering where you are, what you're doing. And I pray, God, that you would open the eyes of our hearts today. That, God, you enable us to see that you are still here. That, God, you would build our faith. You would restore the hopelessness. God, I ask that today would not be an ordinary Sunday. I ask this, God, in my life. And I ask this on behalf of every person here in our Lancaster campus or watching online. That, God, when your word goes forth, it does not return empty. But it accomplishes your very purpose. And I pray that your spirit, God, would speak through me. And, God, you would do a work that is so deep and powerful that we will leave here changed. We pray these things in the wonderful name of our Savior, Jesus. And everyone declared, amen, amen. You guys can go ahead and grab a seat today. I just have a brief encouraging word from this passage that I have preached from before. I feel like um, there, there's so much in this that we could apply into our lives. Imagine how frustrated the king of Aram is where every single move he makes and every breath he takes, somebody's watching him. Do you know some people think that's a love song? That is not a love song. That's the song of a psycho. Just so you know, if you know what I'm talking about. But that's kind of what this king is experiencing. That, that this king is, he's trying to marshal his army into place and position so that they can defeat their enemies, Israel. But every single place that they go and every time he makes a move and he takes his army to try to get an upper hand or advantage against the nation of Israel, he's always foiled because of Elisha. Now, now, Elisha is a prophet of God, one of the most famous in the Old Testament. And it seems that every time Elisha is in his prayer time with God and he's got his coffee with him and his little prayer journal, and, and every time he's praying, God seems to reveal to him exactly where the enemy is going to be. And so he would go tell the king of Israel, hey, man, you ought to watch out for that gorge. That gorge. You got to watch out for this area. You got to watch, I think... He might be there. And so the king would send a scout and he would see, sure enough, that's where the army is. And so over and over and over again, Elisha just keeps foiling the plans of this king who gets incredibly frustrated. You would be frustrated too if every single thing that you tried to do always got thwarted by something. That's the way he feels. And he thinks he's got a mole among him. Which one of you is on their side? What he doesn't realize is that he doesn't have a mole. Israel has a prophet. This prophet Elisha. And God would reveal this to him. 
And so the king finds out about Elisha and his number one priority is, I've got to capture and get rid of Elisha. And so he finds out where Elisha is. He's in a city called uh, Dothan. And he sends a, a SEAL team with an infantry squad by night, by night. They travel all night. And it says they reach the city and they totally encircle it. They encamp, totally get around the city so they can block any exit. And that's kind of where the situation changes for Elisha and his servant and all the people of the city. And I was thinking, I wonder, has that ever happened to you? You ever felt like that you've been in a situation where everything is going fine and life is good, and then all of a sudden, one day you wake up to a completely different reality? This happens all the time. All of a sudden, one day you get a phone call that changes your world. All of a sudden, one day the doctor comes in and says, I've got bad news. All of a sudden, one day you're there and you got a family and you got your kids and your loved ones. And then the next day you find yourself a single mom trying to take care of kids by yourself. One day it seems like your kids are little and then all of a sudden another day they don't want anything to do with you and they've left the house. I mean, if you've lived life long enough, You've had these kind of moments where all of a sudden you get bad news. You go to bed one way and you wake up to a whole new reality. That, that's, a, that's what Elisha and his servant experience. Everything seems like it's great and then all of a sudden it has fallen apart. And here's what I've discovered. That's when your faith is really tested. That is when your faith is tested. When, when you experience those kind of moments... I've had those kind of moments in my life. I've had those kind of seasons in my life where all of a sudden you're saying, God, what happened? Where are you? Why are we surrounded? That, that's what happens in this situation. You wake up to a new reality. It says in verse 15, let me read verse 15 again. It says this, that when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, he wakes up, stretches, going to go out for a morning jog. It says an army with horses and chariots had done what? Everybody say that word, had surrounded the city i like his response but i i fear that when you read it in the um pg bible version that it doesn't translate what he really felt inside he says oh no my lord come on how many of you know that if you woke up and there was an army with swords spears chariots totally surrounding you how many of you be like oh no this is bad, isn't it? You'd probably be like, oh, something. Can we be real? Like, I know the Bible gives it to us one way. I just kind of feel like it might have been a little more dire than that. Oh, no, my Lord. Get the desperation in his voice. What am I going to do? What are we going to do? We're surrounded. They've come here to kill us. This is what the, the Arameans would do. And in this situation, he feels surrounded. He feels like everything is falling apart. That's like spiritual vertigo. When everything around you is spinning, when everything kind of around you is falling apart. Now, let me tell you something that you may or may not know this. You need to realize that as the enemy surrounds the city with Elisha in it, this is exactly what your spiritual enemy does in your life and does in mine. 
You need to recognize this for a moment. You may not realize you have a spiritual enemy, but if God is on your side, or should I say, if you're on God's side, Team Jesus, if you have invited Christ to be the leader of your life, you need to recognize something. God has an enemy, therefore you have an enemy, and the devil's tactic in your life and in my life, listen, is to surround you. This is how the devil works. He surrounds you. In other words, he brings an assault on all sides so that every way you turn, every place you go, every situation you try to get out of, okay, we're going to pivot over here. We're going to go in this direction that every single exit is covered. That's what it means to be surrounded. The devil would surround them. Don't let them out. That's how they would lay siege to a city is they would surround it so you can't, no one comes in and no one goes out. And listen, this is how your spiritual enemy operates in your life. He will surround you. Now let me tell you why it is that his tactic is to surround you. He surrounds you because he knows he can't defeat you. This is why he surrounds you. He'll surround you because he knows he can't actually defeat you. He can't actually beat you. He knows that as long as the power of Christ is living inside of you, he knows that he's already been defeated. So his whole plan is, I'll just surround you even though I can't defeat you. That's like, like Romans 8. I love this passage in Romans 8. It says, what then shall we make of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? What shall separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus? Huh? Shall trouble, shall hardship, from famine, shall persecution, shall nakedness, shall all those? No. But in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. But thanks be to God who gives us victory in Christ Jesus. You see, the devil knows that he can't defeat you. But that doesn't stop him from surrounding you. You need to recognize this in your life. Not every situation you face is just the result of bad timing. Not every situation in your life that you experience is because you have bad luck. Sometimes it's because the devil is actually surrounding you. The enemy has come against you. I believe like this happens more than we even realize. And here's something that might shock you a little bit if you're new to faith. And you got this picture in your mind, well, wait a minute, I thought that if I, if I got on God's side, I thought if I surrendered to him, that like he's going to protect me and he's going to keep me from this. Oh, he'll protect you. But here's what I've also discovered. Sometimes God will allow you to become surrounded. No, 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 no. You don't understand. God would never do that because, right? No, listen. Sometimes God will allow you, and this might even mess with your theology a little bit more than that. Sometimes God will lead you into a situation where you're surrounded. Can I remind you of maybe a great uh, story where this happened? How about when God brought the Israelites out of Egypt and out of slavery? After all these miracles... God's going to take them to the promised land. All of a sudden, okay, God, now it's going to get better. And he takes them and he's leading them by a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. And he takes them a different route through the wilderness. And as he goes through a wilderness, he takes them, he leads them right to the Red Sea. So there's this massive sea in front of them, mountains all around them with only one way in and one way out. And oh, by the way, the Egyptian army decided that they were going to come back after him. 
We're following you, God. And we're surrounded. No way in, no way out. Sometimes God takes us into situations or will lead you into a place where you might get surrounded. You say, why would God do that? Because I am convinced that there are only some things that God can do in your faith once you've been surrounded. There's only some things that God can do to show his power in your life until you've been surrounded. You, God, you will never know God is your provider until you feel absolutely surrounded financially. You will never know God is healer until you're facing a situation where you need healing. And so God may take you into a situation and it will test your very faith. And God might lead you into a place where you're surrounded. You say, oh. Well, if the devil can't defeat me, then what's his end game? If the devil can't actually destroy me, then what's he doing? Let me tell you what he's doing. The devil knows he can't defeat you, but he still surrounds you because what he's hoping will happen is that you'll surrender. He can't beat you, but you can give up. He can't defeat you, but he can get you to, if he can get you to surrender, he wins. And so he closes all around you and he covers every exit so that all of a sudden you look at your diagnosis, you look at your situation and you say, this is hopeless. It'll never change. My marriage will never work. My, this will never. And he wants to surround you so that he can defeat you. And he can only defeat you though, when you surrender. I, I made me think about, about what the devil did to Jesus when he was in the wilderness. By the way, do you know that after Jesus was baptized, that the word of God tells us in Luke chapter four, that the spirit of God led him into the wilderness. Again, we don't like that idea, but the spirit of God led him into the wilderness where he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And it was there in this wilderness type place when he's physically weak and when he's all alone, right? This is when the devil will surround you. When the devil shows up and tries to get him to give up his authority and give up his position with his father, he tries. Why? Because listen, the devil can't take it. But he will try to get you to give it up. He'll try to get you to wave the white flag. He'll try to get you to tap out. He'll try to get you to throw the towel in. He'll try to get you to say, I forfeit. He'll try to get you to turn away from God. He'll try to get you to say, this whole faith thing doesn't work. He'll try to get you to quit on what God's called you to do. This is the way the devil works in our lives. And I have found that there is one of two ways that we can respond when we feel surrounded. We either respond out of fear or we can respond from faith. We either respond out of fear, and here's why we respond out of fear. We respond because of what we see. When what you see looks impossible, when what you see looks bigger than the God that you believe in, that's when you respond out of fear. But here's what faith does. I, I don't wanna just talk about faith we're going to talk about it through the series, but I don't want to talk about it purely from an academic standpoint. I don't want to talk about, give you, let me give you a definition of faith, and you can look all that up if you want, Hebrews 11. And I, I, want to, I want to talk about faith when it's real. I want to talk about faith because we will all be like, I believe in God. Hey, that's great that we say we believe in God, but when you feel surrounded, that's when you discover whether or not you really have faith. See, faith is when you say, I don't walk by what I see, but I'm gonna operate by what I believe. You either respond by what you see or you can respond by what you believe, but there's two responses. 
In verse 16 of this passage, here's what Elisha says. You can see his responses by faith. And he says it to the servant. He said, don't be afraid. Don't you love it when people say that to you? When you're freaking out. It's such a great Christian answer. Fear not. Right? This is like the prophet. I mean, the dude's freaking out and you and I would both be on our knees freaking out if you saw an army around you ready to kill you. There's no way out. There's no escape. He says, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Elisha had a level of faith that the servant did not. Don't be afraid. That, that's a fear not. It makes for a great bumper sticker. It goes really well on a mug. You know, your Christian coffee mug you do your devotions with. It is. It's great. But here's what I've discovered. Oftentimes when people are telling you don't be afraid, those are the moments when you have every right to be afraid. Come on, let's, let's be honest, right? It's kind of like my girls. My girls do this all the time. We go to a park, and they're telling me why I need to ride some kind of roller coaster. And they're saying, it is awesome. It's unlike the other ones. Have you ever had people that do this? You know, And they're like, I'm telling you, it's not bad at all. It's really a great ride. There's not even a big hill. It's, it's like, oh, don't even try me. I know better. Get away from me, Satan. Get behind. I have to, I have to remind my kids that, Sometimes, listen, I get it. People will say, don't be afraid. And it's good because, listen, sometimes we need to hear that. We do. Sometimes we, we need to hear that. Because what I have found is that it's easy to pray a prayer when I feel like my life's a mess and I feel like God is the answer. Like, you know, when your back is against the wall and you, it's easy to kind of finally in that moment go, okay, I believe in you, God. It's easy when you hear about someone's life that's changed and go, okay, I want that. It's easy to pray a prayer of faith. It's something completely different to trust God when life isn't good. I mean, I can believe, believe God when the bills are being paid. I can believe God when everyone in my family is healthy. I can believe God when my marriage is working. I can believe God when I see trajectory in the right direction in the business. I can believe God in those moments. But listen, real faith is this. Will you trust him when it's not going in the direction you hope? Will you trust him when you feel completely surrounded? Will you trust him when the doctor says we tried everything and it's still not working? Will you trust him when he still leaves and you don't know what else to do? Will you trust him when you're not sure if you have enough money to the end of the month. That's where faith really comes to life. Some of you are in that place. And I wonder if the Spirit of God does want to say to you, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. But here's the thing I found about this phrase, don't be afraid. It is one of the most uh, given, most quoted commands in the Bible. Don't be afraid. In fact, it is said more than 200 times in the Bible. Fear not, don't be afraid. 
And most of the time where you find this, what you'll discover is it's God saying it to people who have every reason to be afraid. What are you talking about? There's an army pressing behind us. There's a sea in front of us. We're done for. And so God would have to say to Moses, do not fear, stand and see the deliverance of the Lord. Hey, Joshua, I know you're scared to death because Jericho has really high walls, fortified city with an army that knows how to fight. And you got a bunch of 22 year olds that have never been in battle, but don't be afraid. Here's why, because I am with you. If all you hear is don't be afraid, like somehow as a good Christian, you're just supposed to uh, muscle it up. Come on, man up. Be strong. Like what's wrong with you? No, that is not what causes us to have faith to rise up. What causes us, and we often miss this part, is we don't have to fear because he is with us. And I know, I know, for whatever your situation is, it's a lot easier for me to say that than it is maybe for you to live it. In my life, it's been a lot easier for me to preach it than it has been for me to live it lately. Don't fear, but here's what Elisha says. For those who are with us are more than those who are against us. I imagine the servant looking at him going, what you talking about, Willis? Like, I, I don't even know what you're talking about. There ain't nobody else here. You see, Elisha's faith enabled him to see what the servant's lack of faith could not. Let me read verse 17 to you. Because I didn't read this verse to you yet. I saved it. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see well he can see they're all in front no you're not getting it open his eyes lord so that he may see then the lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked he looked beyond he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around elisha it's one thing to see your enemy encamped around you it's another thing when you see God's army encircling your enemy. Hold on, that's a whole nother perspective. And so Elisha in this situation knows that the servant can't see it. And so Elisha prays. And I find that that's the first thing that we often do when we feel like we've been surrounded and we feel like there's no hope and there's no change in our situation. Elisha prayed, but he prayed so differently than you and I would pray. Like when you feel like everything's pressing against you, how do you pray? This is how I pray. God, where are you? God, are you going to show up? God, are you going to vindicate? God, are you going to do something? God, could you pause your cosmic activities to come down and see my situation because it's really bad? God, where are you? But Elisha does not pray that way. Listen, Elisha prays, God, open his eyes so that he can see that you're already here. I wonder for some of you if God isn't going to want to speak to you in your situation to say, I know you've been praying, but what God wants to do today through your eyes of faith is he wants to open them up so that you can see he's always been there, even if you could only see what was in front of you. When we get overwhelmed, this has happened in my life, all I can see is the problem that's staring in front of me. When I get overwhelmed, 
when, when my faith starts to take a nosedive, here's what's really going on in my life. I'm obsessed with what I'm facing in front of me. That's what happens in my life. When my faith starts to dip a little bit, it's because I stop putting my eyes on someone beyond what's right in front of me. And all I can see is what's encamped around me. All I can see is what the devil has tried to bring against me. And it creates confusion. And it creates a blur. And I can't see what's beyond there. I told you, I, I've preached in this passage before. And God showed me this, this perspective, this analogy as I was thinking about why is it Elisha could see something that the servant couldn't? Why is it that in your life and in my life we have moments where I can't see? God, are you even there? Are you doing anything? When I only see what is surrounding me. And God used photography to show me something. I've shared this before, and so if you've seen it, great. But if, if not, a lot of people haven't. I, I wanted to bring one of my cameras. Um, this is mine. This is my DSLR camera. I'm just curious at both our locations. How many of you own one of these cameras? Raise your hand. Hold it up high if you've got one of these. You're kind of a starving artist. You're kind of a, a photographer, you know, at night. Uh, it's amazing, like, when the price of these came down, like, how many people started a photography business. You know what I mean? And I have discovered just because you got a good piece of equipment doesn't make you a photographer. Okay, I've discovered that, all right? I learned that about myself. See, I got one of these, this one's mine. And I got one of these several years ago when my, my girls were younger. I convinced my wife to let me spend a lot of money to buy one of these because I said, I'm gonna take really great pictures of our girls, you know, doing their sports and their activities and all this stuff. And um, you ever notice that um, the people that have these are either real photographers or they're psycho parents that think their kids are amazing. I'll, I would go to some like sporting events and you'll see this mom there who's got like an $1,800 telephoto lens that sticks all the way. You'd think it's paparazzi so she could get pictures of her five-year-old son who's awful at soccer and stands there, picks his nose and doesn't even go after the ball. I know that's none of you. I'm talking about the other parents. And um, so I bought one of these and I took it to like one game and never took it to another one after that. I just, I never did, right? Uh, now we got iPhones and you know what's crazy? Now you got an iPhone X and you think you're the greatest photographer there is ever. They got portrait mode, it looks awesome. Here's what I discovered though. It's not the camera itself that is what makes the pictures so great, but it's the lens. Real photographers will tell you that. You can buy the body, it but it's the lens. The lens, by the way, can sometimes cost two, three, four, five times the price of the actual camera body. The lens is what actually enables you to create these amazing looking pictures. And what, one of my favorite things to do is I got one of these lenses um, that, that has special settings that will enable me to create these amazing pictures with this, this technique called depth of field. Have you ever heard of this, depth of field? It's when you, you, you might see these in movies and TV or you might see this photography and when people put it out and it, you, you don't understand why you love the picture so much. But whatever the object is, a focal point object, will be in focus and everything else is blurry around. You ever seen that? Some of you may not know what I mean, so I brought a picture. If you would, stick the picture up. This, this is, uh, this is my, my daughter's senior picture. Um, and I brought it because, number one, she looks so amazing in that picture. And so I'm kind of like, wow, just proud dads. Like, wow, she takes after me, you know, but I, I got this, 
But if you'll notice this picture, by the way, Jackie Gowdy photographer, aren't you in this right experience right now? Hello. That woman knows how to take pictures, but she's retired. She only comes out of retirement for us. But, but this picture, um, my daughter's in focus. But if you'll notice behind it, everything's blurred out. You can't make it out. I mean, you can guess at the colors and all that, but you can't tell. That's depth of field. In other words, I can see what's in front of me, but I can't see what is beyond, right? And now, now this technique is what makes these pictures amazing, okay? In order to accomplish this technique, I'm going to help you, okay? Some of you have one of these, but you have never done anything other than to put it on automatic. So it's a waste. You don't need that, Okay. Um, if you will adjust some of the settings and learn about it, the way you get to this kind of picture is you have to adjust the aperture. You got to adjust the aperture. Now, I'm going to help you with something because God showed me when I was studying this. This is fascinating, and I think it's going to speak to your life. Okay, I, I got a picture that I want to stick up that shows you two different forms of apertures, two different levels. Go ahead and stick this picture up, would you? Picture. There you go. There got a picture now. Okay, so when you see this... Uh, this is what the aperture is doing inside the lens of your camera to create this kind of shot. And one of them you see has a high f-stop, okay? That's the f-22 I show you in this picture. That's a high f-stop. When the f-stop is high, the aperture is small. The window that allows light in is small. And what that does is it enables you to see everything clearly. When the f-stop's high, Aperture small, you can see everything in front of you, you can see everything beyond you, and it doesn't kind of make the greatest, most artistic looking pictures, but it helps you see everything, okay? Now, when the f-stop is low, 2.8, or it could be lower, 1.4, when the f-stop is low, the aperture is wide open. It lets a lot of light into the camera, the sensor. And what, you, what it does is it ends up focusing on what is right in front of you, where you focus it, and everything around it is blurred. It's a really cool technique. You'll maybe notice it when you look at pictures now. Do you know what that blur is called that surrounds the thing that's focused? It's called the circle of confusion. Circle of confusion. When everything is blurry around it, it's called the circle of confusion. And as I was kind of thinking about photography, I was thinking, why is it that Elisha, Elisha can see beyond, but his servant can't? And I thought, maybe it has something to do with the aperture of his faith. Maybe it has something to do with the aperture of his faith. Let me, let me show you this again, okay, real quick. If your f-stop is high... It's aperture small. I can see everything clearly. But when your F is low, can I, can I, re, can I re, reframe it? When your faith stops short, when your F stop is low, the aperture is open. Oh, no, my Lord. And all you can see is what's in front of you, and everything beyond you is blurred out. And the problem is for many of us as Christians is that when our faith is low because of what's coming around us, all we can see is that which is in front of us and we can't see that there's an army of the Lord that has circled the army of the enemy that has come against you. So what God needs to do is give us an infusion. I feel like God wants to give an infusion to your faith today. Maybe he wants to, we need to we'll just, come on, allow God to increase our faith today to say he is still there. He's always been there even if you can't see what's beyond.
Now there's a technique. I'm gonna give you a technique for your faith. There's a technique that will enable you to see what God is doing. There's a technique that you can do, photographers do, if you wanna see what's beyond the other side of that. It's called pull focus, or sometimes rack focus. It's when you shift the focus, and I would say that maybe the problem in your situation isn't gonna go away today. But what you could do is you could change your focus. Maybe that's what faith would do, change your focus. I got a video to show you what this is. Can you guys fire the video? Let me show you this video. See, this is what the servant sees. Everything in front of them is huge, it's big. But when you change your focus to what's beyond, you can see what's beyond is bigger than what's actually in front of you. Did you see that? Can you all run it again? Because I don't know if people saw it, if they got it. When what's in front of you seems big, the army in front of you is huge, you shift your focus and all of a sudden what's beyond is even bigger and I came to declare to you today that the army of the Lord has circled around the enemy that has you surrounded that the, the deliverance from God is from the hills come on Psalm 121 says my help comes from the hills Psalm 121 verse 1 this is this is big this is big I lift my eyes to the hills from where does my help come from my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Listen, I can't change your situation. I can't change what's going on. You can't change it. But what you can do is pull focus. I'm saying that I want to leave here today with my heart in a different direction, with my faith seeing what's beyond, knowing that God has never left us. God will not forsake you. He has promised that he will surround that which surrounds you. Whatever comes against you, your enemy, know this. He cannot defeat you. All he can do is get you to give up. But he will surround you. But if you could open your eyes of faith and look beyond, you would see that God has always been there. God has never left you. He is there. In Psalm 34, verse 7, there's a verse for you today. It says, the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and he defends all who fear him. The angel of the Lord is a guard. I came today to tell some of you, whatever you feel like is pressing in on you, you feel like you're hopeless. Whatever you feel like you just, I'm, I can't get out of this place that I'm in. Maybe you feel discouraged. Maybe you feel depressed. Maybe you feel like you've tried medication. You've tried all these things. There is no hope. Maybe you're in a situation relationally. There is no hope. I came to tell you that God wanted to, he wanted to encourage your faith today to say, let's try this. Let's pull focus. I know, I know it seems big and I know the giants in the land seem huge, but let's pull focus. God is already there. We're called to run with perseverance, church. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and what the writer means is there's people who have been in your place before, who have gone through what you've gone through, whose faith has been tested. Since we've been surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run this race with perseverance, the race marked out for us, Fixing our eyes on whom? Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so listen, I, I know your situation may not change today. 
But what you focus on can change. You focus on the fact that God is going to redeem your situation. He always does. I'm, having, I'm holding on to that in my life. That God is doing something when it looks like he's up to nothing. By the way, this was fascinating to me. Elisha knew every time the other army was moving to advance against this army. But somehow he didn't know when he would be surrounded. I feel like that happens a lot in our lives. We don't know when we're surrounded until we realize it. And if you're in that place, pull focus today. Put your focus on him. God, I'm going to need you to carry me through this, fight this battle on my behalf. Come on, would you all pray with me today? God, I just really sense there's a lot of people in our church that are fighting a real battle. I sense God right now that, Lord, there's some, there's some people, Lord, that are totally surrounded. Surrounded spiritually. Some that are surrounded relationally. Surrounded, Lord, in faith. God, I pray right now in this moment that you would give us eyes to see by faith. Give us eyes to see what we can't see. God, give us hope in a time that feels hopeless right now. Listen, as we're praying, I, I believe maybe many, many people in our church today, I really felt like God wanted me to minister to many people that feel like you're in a situation where you feel surrounded. In other words, there is no way out. There seems to be no hope. There seems to be nothing that's going to change. You, you don't know where there's any end in sight. You're not sure how to get out of this place. If you're in that kind of situation, if you're in that kind of season in your life, I want to pray for you today. And I want to believe that by the Spirit of God that He is going to do something to the eyes of faith of your heart that you have today. If that's you today here at Lancaster that you say, I need prayer. I'm going through a season right now in that. Would you just lift your hand up boldly? Just hold it up high. Hold it up. Hands are going up all over the place. Come on, hold it up high if that's you today. I got all kinds of hands in Lithopolis. Lancaster, just lift your hands up just so I can, I want to just kind of minister to you. Father, I pray right now for every person that is just honest and saying, God, they feel surrounded. They feel defeated, discouraged, depressed, fighting for their life. Don't see a way out. God, I pray that, Lord, you would give us eyes to see what we cannot see. That, God, you would give us faith to trust in you when we cannot make out the way out. God, I pray right now that your spirit, Lord, would just fill our hearts. God, I pray that you would give us an infusion of faith that we have not had. I pray, God, that in your presence today, that, God, you're meeting us and you're ministering to us your love that never leaves us. And so, God, I pray that you would open our eyes. It doesn't mean that our situation is going to change. But, God, that the perspective for which we're going to see it might change. And I pray that, God, that in this time as a church, in this season, you would help us to put our eyes on you, to pull focus on you. God, I pray you do a deep work in our church in this season that we're in. God, we need this as a church. I feel like the enemy has tried to encircle, to encamp around us. And God, I just pray that you give us eyes of faith to see that you are there. This is your battle, not ours.
your battle. And we pray these things in the wonderful name of our leader, our Savior, Jesus. And everyone said, come on, let's praise God for, for showing up, for being there, for building our faith today. Amen.